KYRS, Medical Lake, Spokane, 88.1 and 92.3 FM. This is KYRS, Thin Air Community Radio. Welcome to the first episode of Ceasefire Now, where we focus on political conflicts and wars throughout the world from the standpoint of responsibility for U.S. imperialism. I am your host, Russell Webster, and today I'm joined by a special guest. But first, some updates. Israel, led by its far-right Prime Minister Netanyahu, has vowed to continue its war on Palestine till it defeats Hamas, they say. It's been called, Reuters reports, the 21st century's most devastating military campaigns. U.S. Israel has killed more than 16,000 Palestinians since October 7. Since the year 2000, U.S. Israel's killed more than 29,000 Palestinians. President Biden recently commented on Israel's indiscriminate bombing. But several Israeli officials have admitted that the artificial intelligence software it uses to calculate targets also provides them data on how many civilians they will likely kill with each strike. We know Israel's strikes are not indiscriminate. But the strikes constitute war crimes, whether they are indiscriminate or discriminate. The pretext for killing of civilians as a means to winning the war at all costs is an old colonial trope used in World War II, Korea, Vietnam, East Timor, Iraq, Afghanistan, Palestine, and countless other places. Since then, the wars raged for more than two months, and great crimes against humanity are mounting. U.S. Israel has wiped out entire hospitals, schools, refugee camps, entire city blocks, entire families forever gone. Over 60 journalists have been killed, along with countless doctors, medical staff, UN staff, amongst others. Almost 2 million Palestinians are displaced within Gaza. There is nowhere that is safe. U.S. Israel is bombing civilians in the south where it told them to go. Israel has sealed off everything but a trickle of humanitarian aid. I personally had lost count of the war crimes committed by United States and Israel after the first week of the war. Israel is systematically separating civilian Palestinian men from women and children. Israeli soldiers recently made a show of marching naked civilian Palestinian men through the streets, along with torturing them. Israel has continually attempted to portray civilians as militants, but has continually failed to do so because the world is watching. My guest today is Majid Sharifi. He's Director of International Affairs at the Department of Political Science and Public Policy at Eastern Washington University. He specializes in nationalism, security and insecurity, and violence and inequity. He's been published by the Huffington Post and authored several books. His most recent book is titled Insecurity, Communities of South Asia and the Middle East, Consequences of U.S. Foreign Policy. I recently met Majid through the newly formed Inland Northwest Coalition for the Liberation of Palestine, where we are raising consciousness and educating the public on the war in Palestine and its antecedents. Welcome to the show, Majid. Thank you very much, Russell. Can you uh, please briefly tell us about yourself and uh, how you uh, have come to become familiar with uh, the history of the occupation? Well, it's a long story, story of my life in a sense. I was born in Iran and uh, I was born in a very political family. I've been political since I was in high school. And always the issue of Palestine, I'm 72 years old, and the issue of Palestine is pretty much goes back to when I was a kid. And uh, being in the Middle East, you hear from that, even though 
Iran went through regime change. Uh, so I'm familiar with it. I've grown up with it. I uh, have felt it and through my scholarship and my research beside just experiential uh, understanding of the Middle East, which is kind of long, as long as perhaps, not perhaps, but for sure, longer than, as long as the history of Israel is. Uh, also through research and field research in, in the Middle East, both of my books that I wrote was about Middle East and so are my articles. And uh, so I've been closely involved with this issue for a while. Sometimes it's just, just like you lose counts of uh, the atrocities, the numbers, it gets confusing. But the trend has been pretty much the same. Indeed. So we're going to dig uh, dig further down and, and get more uh, into the weeds, so to speak, on, on matters. Um, so Israel's uh, colonial settler project, has, it's become increasingly aggressive over the decades, and with technology becoming more sophisticated, uh, along with U.S. financial, uh, military, and intelligence support. Um, although the American public is largely unaware of the facts as they have been suppressed or manipulated uh, ultimately to serve the colonial project. Um, I wanted to bring our attention to uh, uh, an article I, I recently read. In 2017, Hamas, uh, which is the democratically elected governing authority in Gaza uh, in, since 2006, uh, they revamped its charter saying it would accept the 1967 borders uh, according to the former leader, Khalid uh, Michal, uh, what he said was, uh, I quote, uh, Hamas considers the establishment of Palestinian state sovereign and complete on the basis of June 4, 1967, with Jerusalem as its capital and the provision for all the refugees to return to their homeland uh, is an agreeable form that has won a consensus among all the movement members. Uh, end of quote. He also clarified that Hamas's fight is not with religion of Judaism, but with the Zionist project. Uh, he thus makes a distinction between Judaism and Zionism. W would you please speak to uh, the distinctions that, that he is referring to here between uh, not being um, anti-Judaism, but being anti-Zionism and uh, how those concepts tie into the state of Israel? Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for the question. It's a really important question, especially at this point in time. Zionism is a nationalist ideology, obviously. And it is framed as a nationalist ideology for the return to a home, Zion, and return to the home which is now Israel which the original Zionists, of course, thought it was a land with no people and a people with no land. And it emerged from a European Western question of Judaism, which was a religious uh, ethnic conflict, not conflict, but racist in Europe, not in the Middle East. History of the Middle East doesn't have that idea of the Jews against Muslims, Muslims against Christians, and things like that. That's not to say that there has never been conflict in the Middle East, but this was a European, uh, Christian, Judeo-Christian kind of ideology emerging from the Catholic Church. Hmm. But anyway, by late 1800s, so we have this movement that emerges from the idea of uh, nationalism. And every state, of course, in the Austria-Hungary Empire plus in fact, the Ottoman Empire and the Persian Empire. And uh, it's the beginning of the end of the fall of the old feudal empires and the beginning of the emergence of what we have right now, a new nation uh, states mm -hmm. order. And at that time, uh, the Jewish people were all across Europe. They were almost also all across the Middle East, all the way from Yemen to Saudi Arabia to Iraq to Iran to, to Lebanon to where Palestine is in Egypt 
in Syria and other places. And they were the same from Poland to Germany to France to England. But the imperialism with the rise of imperial nationalism of the Germans and the, the British and the, the French and all the rest, the question of what we're going to do with the Jews. Mm. It was a racist ideology that the Jewish problem, just mm -hmm. the phraseology, the Jewish problem. So there were aspirations for many of the Jews in different countries to, in fact, form a sort of nationalism. And then, of course, from that, and I don't want to really get into the weeds of it right now, but emerged the idea of a homeland or self-determination or something for the Jews. And it just happened after the fall of the Soviet Union, after the fall of uh, the Ottoman Empire uh, and World War II, the British resolved this problem of Jewish problem, which wasn't a Muslim problem. It was actually an anti-Semitic problem mm -hmm. in Europe. They tried to resolve it by going into a treaty and offering the Zionist company, and that's what they call it, Zionist mm -hmm. company. It was very much funded by a Jewish richer uh, crowd to migrate people from Europe to reduce the number of Jews in, in effect mm. from Europe to reduce the problem of the Jewish problem and create this Jewish state. So it was a, a double-edged sword mm. to create, to reduce a problem. And of course, they, they created another problem because they took over a land that was indigenous land. Mm. And it was no people. It was a lot of people there. And only 3 to 6% of the population of the original Palestinian lands were Jewish. And they were living in peace with uh, the Muslims and the Arabs and the Christians and Armenians and others mm. for hundreds of years. No conflict, except, you know, conflict at personal levels and things mm -hmm. like that. That changed. So Zionism, with that very short preface to it, became an ideology And from there to now, it has been equated by the Israeli state with Judaism. Mm. But you and I know, and everybody knows, that Zionism is not Judaism. Mm. Not all Jewish people are Zionist. And, uh, and not all, even some Christians are Zionist, in a sense. So it is an ideology. It's a very dangerous ideology because nationalism in some respect could be positive because it's about unity of a nation to come together and be productive. But nationalism, when it's based on race or ethnicity, mm. it becomes racist. And, of course, the practice of that becomes a racist state, apartheid state, that want to establish a state that is only for one people. And as we know very clearly, very blatantly, we say this is the Jewish state. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? And it's a Jewish state that is supposed to be democracy. Right there and then there is a contradiction. Mm -hmm. If it's a Jewish state and it's only for Jews... It definitely can't be democracy. Mm -hmm. Can you believe or can you imagine if he said the same thing in the United States or in Canada for a multi-ethnic na nation state? Mm -hmm. We would say, okay, this America of ours is only for whites mm -hmm. and whites only. It wouldn't be nice. It could, we couldn't say it's only for Christians or a, an idea of Christianity. Mm -hmm. Those Christianity that believes in a particular aspect of growth of the state. So it is really throwing the state away. It's not liberalism as Biden administration or all other previous presidents have really provoked and promoted and, and, and declared. So it is this ideology of nationalism versus religion. Religion comes from whatever sources it comes from. It's a human construct that uh, is not territorial, it's extraterritorial. But when you make that religion territorially bound, any, mm. any religious ideology become a nationalist, religious, fanatic, dangerous, close to fascist ideology. Because when you mm. say, let's say Muslims or a group of Muslims, they would say, 
this is a Muslim land and we want no, nobody but Islam mm. or Muslim people. Particu- and then when that officially by extension, of course, becomes the idea of officializing, formalizing a particular form of religion. Mm. And then you, we, can, we, can, uh, we can, of course, discuss Well, we're going to have to take a break uh, soon, uh, but I'd like to also discuss uh, further this idea. So the the two-state, the two-state solution that um, the Hamas leader I I quoted earlier was referring to, uh, the 1967 borders, uh, is that even, uh, is is the two-state solution something that is... uh, taken seriously is uh what are the alternatives and i'd also like to discuss within that two state there's a there's a popular slogan that's uh from the river to the sea Mm -hmm. and uh it's it's often it's actually been referred to i think by uh netanyahu himself and others uh in derogatory ways but i i've heard this term it it protests and i've heard it said uh from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And when when I thought about that, what I what I understand that to mean is, in that area, Palestinians should be free, free from what, free from oppression, free from violence, free from uh, having their lives controlled, having their water controlled, their electricity, their land, everything. So that's the way I read it. Sort of like. The way uh, you know Na- Native Americans in the United States struggling for liberation uh, that they want to be free. I don't read that uh, any other way than than a, a declaration for freedom. But can you speak to how that's being manipulated? That slogan and the way the sort of the language is being perverted to serve different agendas. Yes, uh, I must say shame to our Congress women and men on that panel a couple of days ago when they actually equated uh, the slogan of uh, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free with anti-Semitism. Mm. Then they equated anti-Semitism with being terrorism. And then, of mm. course, anti-American, anti-democracy, anti-everything. So that kind of language, that propagandist language, we Mm -hmm. could say, uh, is really horrible. It's very poisonous. And uh, before even we get into this discussion, I must say that from the river to the sea, Mm -hmm. this was a slogan by the original Zionist. Hmm. And it's been always a slogan for Zionist. But creating an apartheid racist state for Jews only and no one else, not Christians, not Muslims, not Arabs, not anyone else. So mm. this is there. Ben-Gurion is coded. Netanyahu is coded. Netanyahu father, who was actually mm. serving under Mussolini fascist government oh. before World War II, was coded with that. Mm. And I can, time is not really, time is of the essence here mm. right now. I could go a list of, or I could provide a list of officials in Liquid Party that have said that that slogan mm-hmm. with the meaning of cleansing Palestinian from the traditional Palestinian land, all of Palestine, including Gaza and West Bank. Mm-hmm. And not only saying it, practicing it for seven years. All the practices, the only trend that we can show for the last seven years is that Israeli state under all of its governments, all of its administration have been methodically and slowly cleansing Palestinians from their land. Mm. They're robbing and stealing their resources. And now they have, as you said, put them in cages, Mm -hmm. in concentration camps in Gaza and open air prison in the West Bank. And I don't know which one is preferable to the Mm. other because either one. So that was a Zionist slogan. But for most humanist people like I, or most progressive people Mm -hmm. that think that every state should be based on one person, one vote, 
it used to be the old slogan of mm. one man, one vote in mm. South Africa, meaning man, me, being human being. Here, when we say from the river to the sea, what we mean is that equal dignity for everyone, whether they are Jewish, Christians, Baha'is, Muslims of different sects, anyone, mm. dignity, free, equal citizenship before the law. Mm. And in fact, this, everyone agrees to it. But when you say, no, this is my estate and no one else's, you create a, a structure in which native people have to be ejected from the country. Mm. Of course, you don't like that. You wouldn't like that because then you see this is an existential threat to the state, mm. to that ideology. But it is not a call for throwing Jews in the sea, mm. into the sea. This is not a call. Theirs, their idea, as mm. they have Netanyahu ideas, is throwing Palestinians to the desert, pushing them underground, mm. pushing them to the sea, deporting them, killing them, and, and all the rest. But no mm. Palestinian intellectuals I know, or there is no documentation that is available, except, of course, fanatics, radical fanatics that nobody, that have no credential, neither in the Middle East nor in the West. Mm. They may be anti-Semitic, and they may say that. But even Hamas doesn't say that. Iran is the most radical state in the Middle East. Mm. They say, officially, they say, it's up to them, but we do believe in one state solution. And we're not anti-Jews. We want one state solution. A state which is representing the population of the land. Mm. That's all. That's all. I mean, it's simple. It's a simple, uh, humanistic, democratic solution. But... Just let me just say this, and then I, I stop. But even two-state solution, many countries, the Arab worlds, the Muslim worlds, have accepted it. Mm -hmm. They say, okay, let's just make a two-state. One-state solution is bad for you. Let's make a two-state solution. Mm -hmm. And the Arab leagues with 22 members, the Muslim cooperation organization with 57 members, and every other country have said, including Iran, have said, we go for it if the Palestinians go for it. Mm -hmm. But the Israeli state has never been genuine about that. Mm -hmm. It's been always misinformation, disinformation, lies, spin, deception to sabotage that, uh, that plan. Mm -hmm. It's obvious that it's sabotage. Otherwise, it could have happened. Even PLO agreed to make two-state solution. But the result, after so many years, we know what it is. Oh. Even more apartheid in the West mm. Bank. Wow. Uh, this, this reminds me of... I've read, I've read a, a bit of history, of U.S. history, and it reminds me very much of U.S. history in the way every time uh, the United States would bring an agreement uh, to the indigenous people whose whose land it was taking, and uh, you know who, who it was uh, mass murdering and, and uh, similar techniques, it would always uh, just continually expand. It would never abide by any of these agreements. And you also mentioned um, South, South uh, Africa and apartheid. I've heard that often referred to uh, in discussions about Palestine. Uh, I'd like to discuss that after the break and also uh, talk about how we've talked a lot about the uh, sort of ideological, racist uh, underpinnings, uh, similar uh, perhaps to like Manifest Destiny in the United States, something like that. I'd, I'd like to also talk about other motivations, other interests uh, that might be fueling this continual process that's sort of, sort of been going on for decades now, especially uh, concerning the relationship between the United States and Israel specifically. So let's, dis let's uh, discuss some of that when we come back. We're going to take a short break. I'll be talking to locals that have the creative mindset. Tune in to find out more about creative minds around you. This is 
is your KYRS live and local calendar for December 14th through the 17th. Thursday, Sean Cavanaugh at Arborcrest, the Nightmayers at Zola, and Hayden Pedigo and Bailey Allen Baker at the District. Friday, the Justin Priest Trio at Chan's Red Dragon, Children of the Sun and others at the Big Dipper, Drea the Great, Lindsay Lee, Tabitha Smith, Tanya Ballman, and many others at the Goody Bar and Grill, Electro Grave with DJ Owen and others at Berserk, and Super Ave, Super Future, and Radikill at the District. Saturday, Bazaar with Scott Ryan Ingersoll, Hannah Siglin, Carly Fairbanks, and many others at Riverfront Park, John M.F. Ward at Revival Tea Company, Antique Sex Machine at Chan's Red Dragon, and Greaves with Obel Reed at the District. Sunday, Sammy Eubanks and Justin Priest at the Knitting Factory, the Spokane Symphony at the Fox, and Hermano Kuya, Father, Son, and many others at Goody Bar and Grill. For an entire hour of Spokane area musicians, tune into For the Love of the Music. Quarter Monkey will be live in the studio this Sunday night at 8 on KYRS. The National Parks Art Foundation, NPAF, is a nonprofit organization offering artist-in-residence programs, museum in-loan programs, and workshops inspired by our national parks, national monuments, and world heritage sites. Information can be found online at nationalparksartsfoundation.org. Ceasefire Now, where I have a special guest, Professor Majid Sharifi, and we're discussing the occupation and the war in Palestine and the urgent need for a ceasefire now and ultimately for a free Palestine. Majid, we were just discussing uh, various aspects of uh, problematic language referring uh, to Palestine and, and often how that's used. Uh, and weaponized in ways to uh, reinforce the occupation and uh, spread certain harmful ideologies. I'd like to talk about, uh, you mentioned South Africa, and the reason why I want to bring that up is because it's often, uh, Palestine is often referred to as an an apartheid system that Israel has set up uh, within it. And ultimately the apartheid was, was uh, over overturned, but it wasn't uh, a very simple process. And I'd, I'd li- basically, I'd like to discuss the similarities that you see and problems with the comparison and differences. And perhaps those differences could lead us into a, a discussion of the greater uh, greater interests in the region, uh, especially concerning U.S. imperialism and Israel. Well, 
so many dimensions to this question. If we go with the two-state solution from the Israeli point of view, and I'm only talking about the Israeli point of view, both their left and right, wanted to make a South Africa, a successful South Africa, meaning that they wanted to create a state which doesn't have border of its own. Mm. It's controlled by Israel. It's discontiguous, as is. Doesn't have airport. Doesn't have seaport. Doesn't have currency. Doesn't have national economy. Mm. Doesn't have any industry. Cannot export or import on its own independently. Cannot do pretty much anything. Mm. And it, it can't even has its own currency and banking system and economic system. Creating a homeland as, um, as uh, South African used to call it. And this was a two-state solution from the left point of view, from the left, leftist point of view of the Israeli state, Israeli mm-hmm. Zionist. And uh, of course, and the PA and the Oslo was pushed by the left and they created this homelands where right now, as we know, in the West Bank, there are enclaves of Palestinian mm. and 750,000 illegal settlers are there. And through checkpoints, hundreds of check- checkpoints mm. and highways and uh, walls, the Palestinian community have been disconnected from each other. Sometimes villages from their yards, their garden, their farms, their work. Palestinians have to get permit to come to Israel and work. It's so ironic. Mm. So one just has to cry if it wasn't, you know. So Palestinians have to actually sometimes get permit to come to the settlement to work as construction worker or to the proper of the Israeli. Mm. And then they have to leave like kettles, be checked at four in the morning to be able to get to work at seven in the morning and return at five in the afternoon. Mm. And if not, then they're illegal and they can be punished. They can be captured. And meanwhile, settlers are always violent against them. They, they just go on rampage, a violent rampage mm. against them. With that background, this is the policy of the two-state solution for, from the Israeli pers- mm. perspective. But then in, in Gaza, because it's so dense, they couldn't create these checkpoints. It was too expensive. So they left it and they agreed with Hamas governing it in an implicit agreed mm. because they could just push it, bomb it, collective punishment in order to, uh, to sort of control Hamas to mm. govern. And that, that was successful until now. That has failed. So this is two-state solution from the perspective of the left wing. Mm. the so-called Democrats in mm. Israel. And the le- right wing, I'm just going to say things that goes back to their history, back all the way to before 1970s and 80s and 1970s and stuff. They created a map. It's called Decisive Plan. It's out there. You mm. can read it. So many sources. Uh, it was an open uh, white paper to say what we need to do. And I'm going to read a little bit of it, if you don't mind. Just just one line. It says, ending the conflict means creating and and cementing the awareness practically and political. And I go, 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 go. And I want to say that it says, from the river to the sea, again, this decisive plan, so-called decisive plan. The river to the sea and outside, the aspiration of Palestinian nationalism has to be destroyed. Mm-hmm. Meaning anyone that aspires to be independent and to be Palestinian, to be dignified, to have equal citizenship is done. So the whole idea of the state of Israel and the state of Palestine from the very beginning, from this perspective of liquid party and the right wing has been a force. Mm-hmm. You know. And then from there, this white... This decisive plan creates three choices for Palestinians. Leave, leave the country, mm. their country mean all of Palestine. And we facilitate that. 
And right now, one of the policies of Gaza bombing is to make sure people leave the pro- that, that territory mm-hmm. and go to Europe. In fact, Biden and Blinken, to their shame, have been facilitating Europe, Arab countries, Biden's trip to, uh, not Biden, but uh, Blinken trips to, mm-hmm. to the Middle East in every country. The very purpose of it has been to convince Syria and Lebanon and Iraq and, and Egypt to accept these refugees. Mm. And they, they've been talking to European countries to accept uh, Palestinian refugees, maybe mm. a million of them, so to lessen the threat and all whatever. That doesn't happen. That hasn't mm. happened and will not happen. And of course, the Palestinians are refusing to leave. So the plan was to push them to leave, facilitate them, facilitate mean bombing them like mm. they did in 1948, to leave. The, the second is that to stay. Hmm. but to give up their aspiration for nationalism, be second-class citizen and accept it until some uncertain date hmm. when we, we, we believe that they have uh, been either humiliated enough or assimilated enough. They have That slave uh, master mentality has hmm. been so structured in that they accept their position of inferiority and, uh, and second-class citizenship. And the third is, it says very clearly, if you don't do that, then we kill you. Mm. We have the IDF. We have very powerful military. We're going to, one way or another, kill you or imprison you. This is, this is not my invention. Yeah. And I'm actually, the, 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 the text is a whole lot harsher than I make it out to be. Mm. But th- this is the plan. So we, we, we can see this, you know, similarities is not so, there is some similarities with South Africa, mm-hmm. obviously, to create a homeland. But South Africa, they never wanted to ethnic cleanse them mm. outside of the country. Mm. They just wanted to control them and keep the rest of the country for themselves. Here, these guys are saying, don't aspire, don't think. Don't think that you're, 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 you're Palestinian. Mm. Palestine didn't exist and should never exist. Palestinian identity should disappear. Or we kill you, or we deport you. So it's, you see the similarity, yeah. but there is a fundamental difference here. Because South Africa, obviously, wasn't as crude, as blatant with their ideology as these guys are. Mm. I'd like to speak more to that. The ethnic cleansing that is happening before our eyes right now but it's a continu- it's a continuation of the ethnic cleansing of Palestine that that's been happening since uh, the beginning of the Zionist project and even in ways before the Zionist project was officially uh, set loose in the area but you said you mentioned the the uh, population in, in uh, South Africa that was um, the oppressed uh, population in South Africa they were they were useful uh, they were useful participants to the economy to the to the area to the uh, to the state of South Africa whereas uh, from what I understand Palestinians have, have largely been framed as um, not useful to Israel and essentially in the way and things you were saying just now reminded me of uh, when I was reading about World War II and, and the lead up to the, the Holocaust was uh, Germany and, and other uh, Eastern European countries were looking for uh, parts of the world to send Jewish people to. Yes. And that, that in, in, is obviously a, a form of ethnic cleansing, but also the participation of the other states can also be implicated in that. Yep. So... A lot of folks think that uh, other states should be responsible for taking in Palestinians, and they they don't quite understand how that can also play into the ethnic cleansing uh, component of it. Another large difference that I see is Israel is it's a it's a nuclear armed state, and it's it's a very important client state to the United States. And beyond, beyond the racist ideologies, there are also 
many economic variables playing. There's the uh, arms industries. There's the oil industries. Uh, there's uh, world power. There's world power movements. Uh, so Israel is a, is is far more uh, than than merely a uh, another client of the United States. It's an integral um, component of U.S. imperialism. And I've heard Israel been, been referring, uh, referred to as a bulwark against uh, you know the derogatory uh, terminology of you know barbarians. I've I've heard that recently actually stated by. Uh, United States representatives. So can you speak more to the interests, other interests that may be involved in terms of the United States, other states in the area? I know that right before the war kicked off, uh, there was supposed to be a a major meeting between uh, Saudi Arabia and Israel that was facilitated by the United States for plans to have uh, further oil trade agreements in the future. And those, those were cut off as soon as the Hamas attack yes. occurred. So can, I, know, I know I covered a lot there, but can you speak uh, about other larger implications in terms of the region that may tie into U.S. as well as Israeli interests in the area? Yes. Uh, let's just uh, focus on the region. First, something that is so unclear for especially for American, the American population, we refer to our government a whole lot of time, our government. Mm. That phraseology does not exist in the Middle East. In the Middle East, it's very clear that the governments and the regimes, most of which are supported by the United States, are not of the people, by the people, for the people. Mm. There are dictatorships and tyrannies that the United States support. Now, um, and all of them are, none of them are democracies. In that sense, in political science and in international affairs and relations and this discipline, in, in, uh, there is a clear distinction between the state and the nation. The state, nation, and the regime that runs these state. Mm. This clear distinction sometimes in our lay language is not does not exist. And of course, our politicians really conflate these issues. That's why they think if you are anti-Israeli, you're anti-Jews, anti-Jewish people, or anti... If I say the regime, there is a need to regime change in Israel, they say you're anti-Semite. But if I say there is a need for regime change in Egypt, I'm not anti-Semite. Egyptian, by the way, are Semites too. But uh, I, I say this preface to, to say this one. All of the countries that surrounding Israel and their neighbors of Israel, their governments are in cahoot with Israel in a sense mm. because they are part and parcel of, in fact, U.S. alliance mm. in the Middle East to a dif- two different degrees of course with the exception of Iran and Syria and Yemen. And you see that, so Jordan is a dictatorship, but it's okay. Mm. Egypt is a dictatorship, but it's okay. Iraq and Saudi Arabia and Kuwait and Bahrain and Qatar and the rest of them. I say this because too, I want to make this point, that these, na- these countries, these Arab countries, the states... Behind the back door, just like Abraham Accord, mm. they want to relate to and maintain their power. But they're afraid of their streets. I hope someday we become like that. So administration is our afraid of our street. Mm. So when it comes to Palestinian issue, they have to back off. And this Israeli attack and atrocities is so harsh, so horrible, that it has deviated and sabotaged. Biden plan of bringing all these dictatorships together mm. to create yet another alliance so they can fight Syria and Iran, which is, which is the enemies of, in fact, mm. this axis of resistance, they call them, enemies of the United States, supposedly. So you see this is fight mm. between governments and people get involved. And now, going back to this issue of um, regional interest, mm. we can see that the region now these regional interests and these governments from Syria to Egypt to Lebanon and all this on the one hand they want to 
grab on and hold on to the power with the backing of the United States. On the other hand, they don't want to really make their street to be too angry. Mm. So they have that delicate balance to play. That's why some they, they support Hamas, and but in the uh, from another door they come in and and don't do much about it. Mm. So all of the Israelis that say all Arabs are against us, that's that's not true. That's a lie on so many different dimensions. But again, I want to say this. Uh, this is important to say. I want to make this preface because why is, is Israel more important to the United States than mm-hmm. just this conflict? And you are so totally mm-hmm. right. And this was the second part of your question. Yeah. We, have to, uh, uh, we have to think of it this way. As Professor Elon Pape also said it, and other people have said it, we have a world, a divided world. A world which we could say right now on this issue, we have global Israel and global Palestine. Mm. Global Israel is uh, an alliance, an assemblage, an assembly of the United States, all the imperial powers in the West, corporate powers, the cabals in in Egypt, Mm. in Jordan, and in in Tel Aviv, with their military industrial complex, these people, if you want to just reduce their ideology, despite all the differences, they believe in a war, in a, a world order where domination mm. and enslavement and exploitation is normal. It's the daily business. War is the solution for everything. For Israel, as the United States, War and violence is the solution in everything. And when that violence or war doesn't respond, they only say that we didn't use enough violence. If we had used just, if we had killed more people, it would have been better. Mm. We just, we were not resolved to kill enough, mm. essentially. And then we have the global Palestine, global Palestine. Mm. has nothing to do with Palestine, but that is you. Mm. And I, workers in the United States, farmers, regular people, teachers, not only in the United Mm. States, in Canada, in Mexico, in Europe, it's global south and global north. The exploitation, depending on the context, is different. So Palestine and liberation of Palestine is the modern form of, today form of anti-colonialism. Mm. And this is colonialism. This is colonialism, imperialism, and we haven't passed mm. that. Those people that say we are post-colonialism are delusional. Mm. Or they're not so informed. We are not in post-colonial era. We are actually going into a new colonial era, which can be with the AI and the machines, and we've seen police control, surveillance, and all the things that we are. So we see every day. We see that today, colonialism has a softer face, only face. But what, what the Israelis do to Palestinians, I would say, and I would dare to say, Many people on the ruling class in this country want to do it to the people that go on a strike. We saw what happened in George Floyd. We saw the, the resentment against the idea that police has to be neutral. The very idea that we don't want a police country. We don't want to have a police rule. We want to have a civil rule. We want the police to be bound with the same rules. We don't want people to be killed for no reason. Nobody should be above law or domination should not be normalized. So this two binary that has been created by that ideology of we are number one, we are the first, we are self-appointed leader of the world, it very, very much matches and compatible with the ideology of Zionism. You said it well. Mm. When you said manifest destiny, mm. that means self-appointed by God to rule and destroy and rape and plunder and do whatever it is that we think is right, is right. Mm. So power makes right. It's really 
government and Israeli state is pretty much in this, on the same page. Mm. In that sense, yes, they, 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 there is an alliance. Mm. I must unfortunately take a quick break, but I'll be right back. KYRS listeners, keep your eyes on the horizon for Prague Planet, a new program showcasing all types of progressive and art rock. Thursday nights, 10 p.m. to midnight, right here on KYRS 88.1 and 92.3. You'll hear classics like King Crimson and Can, along with modern Prague masters such as Porcupine Tree and Ocean Size. Tune in to Prague Planet coming soon to KYRS Thursdays, 10 p.m. to midnight. wants your brand new car. Well, not really. Yes, indeed, it's a great feeling to finally get another car after the old one's been breaking down over and over. It's another great feeling to get even more use out of an old car. Here's how. Donate it to KYRS. Car donors get a membership, a tax deduction, and the satisfaction of really helping out. Just call toll-free 855-KYRS-CAR. That's 855-597-7227. Hong Kong! Thank you for listening to the first episode of Ceasefire Now on KYRS. I've had a very special guest with me today, Majid Sharifi. Thank you so much, Majid. I hope to have you back on. Thank you. Thank you. I enjoyed my time. Thank you. It went by so quickly. So this show is called Ceasefire Now. We'll be on every Thursday at 3 p.m. live. Please tune in. KYRS, Medical Lake, Spokane, 88.1 and 92.3 FM.